Broomwagon Special Edition, directly from a world of pure imagination. We'll begin with a spin traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see will defy explanation. Hello everybody and welcome to Broomwagon. Wait a second, let's get to normal here. Better, way better. Hello everybody and welcome to Brumvagoon. You will not get there on the road bike. A word of pure imagination because today we are gonna go into a special mini-series because I was in a great event and you should know everything about that. But first of all, thanks to Shasha Z for this awesome soundtrack that is gonna stay with us in the broom wagon until better times, let's put it in this way. And you know that you can support the cause, the link is down below. Another cause that you have to support is by Kigis. You know, every time that somebody, myself or my guests, and a lot of people said that already during this mini-series, will mention COVID, a coin is gonna be dropped into the COVID jar and will go to by Kigis, the association in Berlin who helps women refugees to know and to learn how to ride a bike. Thanks a lot to Komoot for being partner of mine for this season of the Broom Wagon. You will know more about Komoot into this mini-series. And remember that you can share, subscribe, rate, do whatever you want with this podcast on your better application, best application that you use for listening to that. Every time that you link or do anything, the algorithm will say thank you, Stefano, and will be a jump into the amazing words of the big charts. We were talking about mini-series, let's go on that. It's gonna be a mini-series, four episodes, because I was guest of the BCA Bike Connection Agency event in Massa Marittima a couple of weeks ago. This meant a word of pure imagination. Here it is, because we were together with other content creators, journalists, and people of the cycling industry in this amazing, how would you call it? Maison, probably, yes, that's the best, at the border of the town of Massa Marittima, to talk with the industry players, to test some new things, and as well to talk about stories. Yes, all the journalists were there to look at some stuff that were under embargo just being presented in the event. I was there to come out with some questions about stories. And that's what I did, as much as I could. You are going to listen to all the stories about the brands into this mini-series. It's going to be three episodes plus one. The three episodes are going to be the one with me talking with the brands, talking about their product, but mainly about their stories and what are their values and what they support. And as well, a plus one episode with all my experience. I mean, myself walking around to this event and as well myself riding bikes with some friends, myself testing bikes everything that you want to know. Now, let's put it here in this harsh way. I am planning to go live with the four episodes in the next two weeks. So I mean two episodes a week for the next two weeks so that everything can be fresh and palatable for all of you there. You don't have to wait, but I cannot promise that to you because that's the plan. But at the moment, my flat is full of a stomach bug that my family caught. For now I'm safe, I have to take care of them, 
but I don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. So hold tight. If something is going to happen, you're going to know about that into my Instagram account. Otherwise, just wait for the feed and the episode that is going to come. Tuesdays and Fridays. Tuesdays and Fridays are two good days where you can see this episode going live. I spent there four days full of interviews, talks, meeting friends and everything like that. That's the reason why I put down three different episodes with interviews and one episode with the experiences. The first episode is going to be about more or less my first half of the day in terms of walking around the different houses with a different brand. A lot of stories, this time with Fulcrum, with Pirelli and with Villiers. Also some products talk, but mostly stories talk. I hope you enjoy. I will talk to you at the end. In a, in a word that it's linked to our passion and that's make the difference. If you are passionate about the product, uh, when you are working uh, on this business, I think you can do something more because you, you, you are looking for something that you want first for yourself to improve uh, the bikes. Uh, and uh, it's a characteristic uh, that uh, is also uh, right uh, on our vision in Fulcrum because uh, what we want uh, uh, for um, for our buy, for ourselves, uh, it's important also for the market. But first of all, we are always looking to improve our bikes <laughs> and then the customer one. So basically, you want to improve your bike. That's why you're improving your wheels. So your experience first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, we, are, we are also customer too. No? And so we need to understand what uh, our customer we are looking for. And so we are always trying to, to find the best product to provide to the market. <laughs> That's super amazing. So we said... Then Federico for Fulcrum. Let me give you a little story, people. It's gonna be brief. Sorry, Federico. Just I'm gonna actually take your show for one second. Or you're taking my. I mean, uh, let's say uh, I actually got to know the first time Fulcrum with my custom-made yellow hammer bike. It was 2014. I was living in Berlin. I wanted to have Shimano group set, but I wanted still to have the quality of Campagnolo wheels. Then I got to know Fulcrum that basically is from the same family but with a different character. Then I became, let's say, older and probably wiser. And now I don't care about anymore. I just want to have quality things on my bikes. But still, I think that Fulcrum is a great quality, uh, a super great quality wheels. And that's the story of myself with the Fulcrum wheels. There is something else. I may say something incorrect. Campagnolo, Fulcrum, same family, but with a different flavor, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it's co absolutely correct. Uh, we we take uh, from the the uh, amazing uh, uh, know-how uh, of Campagnolo, also in making great wheels. We make uh, uh, we the, has been uh, uh, launched this brand in two thousand four in order to to have the possibility to explore also other field and giving also the possibility to, to give an alternative in terms of uh, uh, also product characteristic, but taking from the same base of know-how and uh, exclusive technology that Campagnolo has developed. And so that's make uh, our uh, uh, product uh, really uh, 
well known and reliable thanks to the Campagnolo technology, but we are giving a, a different uh, soul to the product, to the communication, and we are making also different uh, mix of characteristic of the product in the same uh, field also where Campagnolo is, but then we can also explore other segments like mountain bike, e-mountain bike, or having a wider range of product and also providing a lot of product also for the OEM customers, so for the bicycle maker that needs uh, uh, wheels, uh, of course, on their product. Tell me more about that. How did you call it? OEM, uh, that's uh, its original uh, equipment manufacturer, and so means that you are providing the, the wheels for the, the the, the bicycle maker so they can complete the bike with uh, quality wheels yeah 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 it makes sense you know what i'm asking you because a bit of time ago also here another story people sorry if i actually go on the sidetrack most of the time but i got a problem with my wheel set i'm not gonna say the brand but i got an accident this was the problem and then i went to uh, one something like one shop and they asked them look can i have something like a replacement for my wheel and they actually told me as well that they could give me the oem uh wheels because they were actually one of their clients swap it and whatever for me it's a great thing you know because really you are working together with the manufacturer bike manufacturer in order to build for them high quality wheels that still can fit perfectly the bike that's the philosophy of it right yeah yeah it's correct uh, the now uh, today it's uh, a bit complicated because also these bicycle brands are trying to to get uh, as much as possible. Uh, oh. uh, I mean, uh, more, no, not saying badly, but uh, it's they are trying to be more competitive. So they are trying to, to create also their own wheels in order to make uh, a bike that uh, it's more competitive also but uh, we think that uh, we are a wheels specialist and what we are able to make uh, is uh, because we are constantly a uh, daily working on that and for us uh, we made wheels instead of who makes bikes okay they can also take uh, an effort to make uh, the, the wheels but uh, we think that uh, honestly it's going to be something different what from what we are offering and we have uh, many brands that are working with us and believe on uh, the, the wheels specialist then there are also the trend now to in order uh, to be i mean uh, competitive more flexible different reason they are also making their own product or they they, they put uh, no brand we can say components in order to 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 offer better better price to the end consumer but uh, we think that uh, uh, especially on road the wheels may do the 50 percent of the, the bicycle experience because provide uh, a, a lot of the, the feeling that you can uh, enjoy riding the bike and so if you have a uh, a good uh, bikes with a super uh, cool and expensive group set but with the bad wheels uh, your experience will be bad it's like the shoes on your suit you go at your wedding and talking about my wedding because it was supposed to happen two years ago but it's going to be happen this year covid stuff uh, but yeah you are actually putting your perfect sleek suit to go to your wedding and then your shoes are meh that's not exactly the experience that we want to have exactly also on the bike. Yeah, exactly. That uh, is the concept. But uh, uh, for us, uh, we we, uh, we are making uh, 
uh, when we develop the product, it's uh, we we think uh, about our wheels, so a complete. Uh, product we provide wheels not component we are not selling hub we are not selling spokes or rim we just uh, sell a complete product because uh, our uh, the development uh, uh, it's based on the philosophy to have every single component that has been uh, developed in order to work together as a single product as a complete product and uh, so uh, every details uh, it's uh, perfect uh, to be match uh, each other and uh, even for example I'll give you an example the 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 the, the angle of the hole it's uh, for the nipple it's completely it's perfectly in line with uh, with the spokes and uh, so there is no tension uh, on the on the hole due to the fact that the nipples uh, put some forces uh, and it's completely in the center so there is no uh, there is a perfect balance everything uh, it's development uh, in this uh, in this way so then uh, this make the difference uh, in terms of performance but then also on keeping this performance for a long time and so make a, a reliable product perfect i have another question that i want to ask you so actually I know it, probably everybody who is listening to this podcast knows it. Uh, you are also partners with this pioneeristic, super new team, the Enough Cycling people. And that's one thing that I want to highlight. I mean, also you're trying to support the community of people that are doing stuff that are not commonly in cycling. They're kind of new. That's one thing. Then you talked about the fact that also you are developing in different spectrum of cycling. So road for sure is there, but then also gravel and mountain bike. That's another thing. And you were talking about as well, as well about performance and reliability of the wheel set for long term. Put this one in place and knowing that actually this kind of, yeah, the enough cycling people, but also gravel and mountain bike and everything needs to be really reliable. And that that really, these people can put really components and especially wheels under stress. When happened, if it happened, or did you ever receive a phone call from somebody of the Enough team or anybody else around in your uh, ambassador programs or also customers or whatever, with something that you would say, and how could you do that? How did you put this wheel under distress? So did you ever add something like a good anecdote of people that use the wheels of Fulcrum under really huge stress? Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, the, I don't want to know if you fucked up something. I just want to know something like, "Come on, let me sleep tonight." No, yeah. It's, uh, sometimes now it's uh, it's uh, less predictable how you could uh, use the wheels because Absolutely. in in the past with the road, okay, they were just making uh, road racing, and so the the wheels stay in the tarmac. Then uh, when you go off road, it's you never know what the the, the can happen and. Uh, and the crazy idea that the guys from enough or others uh, can have so it's uh, it's always something that uh, you you cannot predict but for example uh, uh, something uh, that happened uh, last year with Jonas Dijkman who was this uh, wait a second that Jonas Dijkman yeah that okay. that's guy that <laughs> he was also the broom wagon that's why I was saying he was there as well that's yeah, great uh, so he was riding around the world yeah. and so he had his plan but he had many uh, changes due to the covid and limitation on traveling and so he was um, 
the the plan was to do all the Russia uh, with uh, with our gravel wheels, and then um, suddenly he say, "Ah, okay, but I have the road wheels that it's the wind that uh, it, it was a combo actually, uh, 55 in the rear uh, and 40 in the front that it's a, a road okay wheels, and he said, "No, but okay, uh, I'm thinking that uh, I'm gonna use this wheel." So also to do Russia, Siberia, that he was undergoing uh, in... Uh, Minus 35, I think, was yeah, the temperature. Right. But we tested also in that condition because he tested everything, but but was not expected that that kind of wheels that was going to do so many kilometers in gravel, uh, dirty condition, and so on. And uh, in the end, uh, he did uh, 17,000 kilometers on uh, on that condition with these wheels, and we were just... Uh, about, we our plan was to use a proper gravel wheels but then in the end he used a, a road wheels and everything uh, went smooth so we were happy and we say okay we proved that we are, we do reliable product <laughs> that's super great yeah that guy actually put all his equipment in so much stress and conditions that nobody would really ever consider on something like that no but actually yeah he was talking to me also about the sealant into the tires and everything like that it was uh, just absolutely great but that's super nice right you're doing some tests because we all know that Fulcrum makes huge tests to put really something really reliable on people's bike you make huge tests but you never go really so much in the extreme like these people and that's the cool thing right on living in the all road not only all road but also gravel world talking about cycling that we live and i think that actually you feel super comfortable in this space yeah yeah it's a uh, it's a uh positive and is also challenging but uh, we know because uh, when uh, uh, sometimes we we have our uh, internal laboratory and we put our product under really and uh, really uh, demanding test uh, and uh, sometimes we we also uh, test some uh, product from the competition and we see that there is a uh, the difference uh, sometimes and then sometimes also we discuss with our colleague and saying but why we are making so uh, stressful uh, test why yeah but because we have to be sure of this or that and so sometimes uh, to, to us uh, it's uh, it's stranger or it's uh, over tested but then uh, when there is this extreme condition you see the difference <laughs> absolutely the last thing that I want to ask you Federico is that this afternoon we are going to jump on the bike and we're going to test some products from Fulcrum what am I going to test? you are going to test this if you can say that here we know that there are something under embargo so people about think about under embargo you're not going to listen to anything but what we can say we can say that uh, the the wheels that also enough team uh, is riding and uh, the wheels that they tested uh, uh, first also at Badlands uh, and where we also win with the with Mattia De Marchi and also Mariona in women category so we 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 launched the product in the end of september but we are starting the 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 the, the real uh, mass production right now and so we have a product availability that are going to the market and so you can experience the, the the same product that also we tested there that also was another extreme condition in some way yeah yeah, dust and hot weather. Uh, how is the name of the wheel? Uh, Rapid Red Carbon. 
perfect. So I can't wait to have it. Well, Federico, thanks a lot. It was a really great pleasure to talk to you today. Yep. Okay. Yes. So we 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 will wait you for with a nice bike and a super wheels. <laughs> can't wait. Ciao, Federico. Ciao. Grazie. I define this event like um, media helicat. So I was up to the fulcrum house, I would say, people, yes, house. And now I'm down here at the Pirelli house. I'm here together with Valeria and Samuele. How are you doing, people? Hi, yeah, I'm doing great. It's, it's cool in here. I'm looking forward to the afternoon ride. <laughs> that was the conversation that we were having. Are you riding tonight, this afternoon, people? Yes, 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 of course, we're going to ride. So, yeah. We need, we need to do that. We need absolutely to do that. It's a tough job. <laughs> tough job. We need to do it. I was talking with Federico from Fulcrum before, and he was telling me exactly the same thing. It's part of the job. Everybody's telling me, ah, you enjoy life. Love working with bikes. You love bicycles. You have to ride all the time. We like it, yes. But it's also part of the job. That's a nice goal in life, like to, to work with something that you like a lot. So... That's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm not gonna actually. I need to hold your wheel. Seems like you're kind of pretty fit, people. Uh, on average, I would say that is. <laughs> we are humble. We try to stay humble. No, it's a, it's a funny thing because, uh, and it's probably more for us in Pirelli when we go back to the company. I mean, it's unusual that uh, we actually can uh, ride the products that we that we design them ourselves because we are full of colleagues uh, which are behind cars and, uh, and motors. So the fact that we are going outdoor riding it's already th something that we started as a cycling division inside the Pirelli world which was new so we have to keep explaining to our colleagues that we are here to work and not on holiday <laughs> it makes a lot of sense actually it makes a lot of sense you introduced it perfectly this topic the first topic that I want to touch base somewhere so you work for Pirelli I was a kid, and for me, Pirelli basically was always related to Formula One, cars, I think, and my dad. Ah, oh, no, my dad was a Michelin. Can I say Michelin on record? Yeah, yeah. of course you can. Okay. Was a Michelin fan on his car. I was not riding the bike at that time, but still Pirelli was something like really the pinnacle of technology for Italy and stuff. But what, I remember that the, law, the old heritage of cycling was there, but was not there anymore. Then, a few years ago, I found out that Pirelli was back on tires. At that time, I was a Continental fanboy, but then I wanted to try the P0 Velo. And uh, the first one, probably, that you made, I put them on, and they, together with my, also with my brand new bike at that time, and then I said, these are sticky, these are good, these are amazing tires, and I don't get so many flats. And then I got to know that Pirelli was back in the business. How was the process of it? Uh, I can do it. Uh, it was a, a company decision related to major three top three major topics. One was uh, a focus that the company uh, decided to do about uh, after the consumer markets in general. So we we cut completely the business of uh, industrial tires uh, and we focused on uh, the consumer oriented, which was car, moto. And bicycle, which was the missing, it was more evident that was the missing uh, missing link. So uh, a kind of market which is completely driven by the consumer demand, a lot more than motor and, and car. So this was one of the strategic reasons. Another one, which I think is probably the most uh, relevant these days, is that uh, 
they have seen uh, a projection uh, ahead of 10, 20 years uh, of the new mobility, which is a lot more about light mobility, which includes bikes, of course, and a lot less about cars. So it was also a way to project, uh, to project the, the brand into the future, for sure. And then there is also an R&D component, uh, to be honest, where uh, uh, the challenges of making uh, uh, lightweight tires, because we, I keep reminding, and that's a nice story to tell, that uh, before we came as a cycling division in Pirelli, the lightest Pirelli tire ever produced was uh, around the six, uh, five to six kilograms. And we came with asking for products of 200 grams. We started, we started talking about point of millimeters of tolerances in, in textile and rubber, uh, levels of rolling resistance 10 times lower than any one, anything present in cars. So that was a challenge, and it was part of the reason why the company also decided to bring the cycling back to feed and challenge the R&D and the know-how, uh, which is uh, completely shared across all the divisions. So this is another good point worth a discussion later on. Yeah. No, yeah, it's uh, it's super great. And actually, yes, bringing back uh, to cycling means as well something like really going into the future, right? You were talking about uh, light mobility and everything that is related not only to performance, that probably is the thing that we like the most in our niche of cycling, but also as well durability, uh, trustability, reliability, and everything related to that for day-to-day -day moving. And that's great. Yes, that's it's definitely the uh, probably the most uh, relevant of the three elements uh, in the very long term. Uh, so that's why the, we, we decided to to go back. And there is also a part of the business which is uh, focusing on the services around the the, the mobility. And uh, while we are taking care about the products, uh, so all the cycling uh, products is coming from the second division. But there is also a focus of the company on the on the service around the mobility. Okay. Which is a part. It's another startup that uh, that we are running in uh, in Milan, and that will see probably relevance within the next two three years. So we're going to talk about that in two three years. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to ask any other question. Um, it was something like, anyways, is uh, Pirelli in general as. Uh, yeah, an ecosystem is pretty various, right? You talked about uh, cars, we talked about, we we're talking about bikes and everything, but beneath and inside the, pre, the Pirelli cycling division, this is also pretty diverse, right? We were talking before of records and we were saying uh, Pirelli tires started with roads, but then there was a natural evolution. Natural because cycling naturally evolved now, especially for us amateurs, cycling and everything evolved naturally into all-road, off-road, but also with still performance in mind, you really drove the development and everything also in cross-country and mountain bike. How would you consider and how uh, would you think, if you have to think about the values of Pirelli itself as a brand and as evolution, what do you think are the most important values? Yeah, uh, It's pretty easy to see how much we are linked to, to the racing in general. I mean, this is a company DNA that really goes back 100 years. Uh, 
And with cycling, uh, it's been pretty easy for us to jump on that value because uh, you know how much uh, cycling still is uh, uh, driven by by the racing because it's easy to get uh, uh, interested, to get passionate about uh, what's happening on, on the racing world. Even if you're not a racer, as we, we are not, I mean, I'm, I'm not personally a racer, but I do like a lot looking at uh, races because there are... Uh, I mean, the performance side of things is interesting, but there are always uh, stories behind, whether they are from athletes or from uh, the people behind the products. Uh, so it's uh, really uh, easy inside the company culture from the really top management down to, do, to the bottom. Uh, whether, whether there is a project which is related to racing, it's easy to, to explain. I mean, you don't get uh, to... Uh, take too many meetings uh, or make uh, kind of business plans, whatever. Uh, if it's racing related, it's a go, uh, basically. And it's really in the culture uh, of the company itself. It's really visible. The higher you go in the hierarchy, the more you see that happening, which is strange, especially in Italy. It's not always uh, a given. Uh, the easiest example uh, we keep doing, uh, we have one for road racing, which is about the tubular products, mm -hmm. which which is a product that doesn't have sense in terms of market and business. It's just for racing, okay. as it is uh, for Formula One tires, which mm -hmm. is another example. I mean, now that they're switch switching to 18 inches, there is more link to the products that you sell, technologically wise. But before, with the 13 inches, you were developing something just for the pure sake of racing. Uh, and in cycling, it was the same with the tubulars. In mountain bike with downhill, we are doing the same. It's a product that doesn't have a really uh, justification in terms of volumes of business. But not even the, the bicycles in downhill. Nobody really owns a bicycle. Not even the racers. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, but I mean, it's racing. So it's, uh, you get excited when you see the races uh, and you have, to, you have to win those. And this is really a Pirelli DNA. Okay. I have to say, across any level of the company, you, you feel it, uh, you smell it when you're in Milan that uh, it's a racing-oriented company. So there is a passion uh, behind the product performance from one side, but also the stories of racing, the excitement of racing. It's really part of the DNA. So, I mean, cycling has been uh, a perfect blend and an easy fit within that uh, company culture, I would say. Cool. Another thing that actually I see pretty present with Pirelli is also your support for doing something different. We were talking before uh, that the Enough Cycling Collective that you are supporting, these guys are doing probably something different in the cycling world. It's not racing, it's not leisure, so it's not 100% racing, it's not 100% leisure, it's something in the middle, it's exploring, it's adventure and everything. So this means that some of your, we can call them partners, ambassadors, uh, you decide? Partners. It's a nice one. Yeah, they are re you are really developing together with them something new in terms of stories, but also in terms of products. I think that when you develop something cool and different with your partners and to make together some products and stuff, it's not all the time a great success. From time to time, you hear about weird stories or anecdotes that something that when you bring a product in extreme conditions, then something can happen. So do you have any anecdote for me in terms of tires put into extreme situation that didn't perform or react how you were expecting? Uh, well, we have, uh, we have the example of the 
how we began uh, with the, the World Tour teams, uh, which I think is pretty, is pretty unique, uh, at least from the experience that I have in, uh, in the road cycling, because uh, we approached the first World Tour teams with no products at all. I mean, we had, What was the team? It was Mitchelton Scott back okay. in 2018. We only had uh, a couple of uh, clincher ties for tube types, so not relevant at all for racing at World Tour level. I mean, they were all focused on uh, tubulars only at the time. So we had to convince them first to, to work with us uh, as a partner to develop something that was not existing. And I have to say that despite we were pretty solid in terms of credibility, Uh, because of the brand and the company, but it was uh, uh, also very evident that uh, we had no products at, at all. So the know-how of making tubulars, which is still a handmade cotton suede uh, thing, not exactly anything similar to a Formula One tire. Absolutely. Uh, we had to convince them that the project was serious, that the people were serious. So uh, we basically agreed And that was on paper. I mean, on, on the contract, it was agreed that uh, the last call to use the product in races was to them and not to us. Okay. So you prepared the sorry, you prepared the tubular and you let them test, and they would say, okay, we can use it, or no, we can't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. In fact, for the first year, we had uh, we were supplying the team with any kind of competitors' products or whatever it was their choice. Uh, until uh, some riders started to use them in minor races. Then we had some uh, uh, riders starting to use on major races. And then we've got finally, after one year, the whole team racing. And it was all their, uh, their call. It was uh, a stressful year for us because we were seeing that our developments were not yet there. But in the moment that we got the whole team choosing to race, on our tires was really a satisfaction from one side and we have seen that uh, as a an investment in credibility with the whole peloton mm -hmm. because from the year after we have got teams coming asking because they they knew the product was going well uh, and that was uh, the result of this uh, way of approaching uh, giving the complete freedom of choice to to them despite the marketing contracts and i mean all the stuff that we put in place but this was really again related to the company culture that i was mentioning before the product has to come first so when you are racing and talking with athletes uh, let them choose what they want uh, so that you are sure that your products are doing good Makes sense. Because I have you people here, I have also the possibility to ask a nerd question. So, and actually, stuff. exactly. So, let me go one second on that, and then we're going to talk about something else. I know that actually, people that usually are listening to this podcast, they want to know the story, the anecdotes, or whatever, but let's talk one second about nerdy things. So, you were talking about tubulars, right? Tubulars that are really in the pro peloton. This is what people are looking for, whatever. But we have seen also a bit of changing lately in this last couple of years. A lot of teams are using. I don't know, clinchers, for example. I know that some teams are doing this. Or just the classic, so I mean the classic for now, but tubeless with sealant inside or tubeless with the liner inside. What do you think about that, actually, in terms of the peloton? How do they react on this innovation on one side? And how Pirelli is playing this game of going into new material and new standards for road cycling but also everything else 
Uh, I try to make it short because otherwise we can talk a couple of hours about uh, the tubeless. Of the Let me stop here then, one second. So promise me that we're going to have this conversation of two hours tonight at dinner. <laughs> okay, after a couple of beers. I mean, <laughs> that's going to be interesting. Uh, no, let's say uh, 2018, when I was mentioning before, it was still only about tubulars. Mm-hmm. Now I have to say that it's more about two things. One is uh, as simple, <laughs> it's really simple, it's the age of the rider. So the, the old guys, they are used to tubulars, so they keep on asking for tubulars. But all the young generation riders, they are open, a lot more open-minded, so they are uh, uh, really ready to jump on tubeless. Uh, given that, the second factor is the wheel uh, availability. Uh, perf- High-performance wheel on tubeless, not all the brands have them. Not all the different uh, uh, rim height mm-hmm. is available at uh, competitive uh, weight and rigidity. So given the system of wheel plus tires, there is still uh, room for improvement. And I would say that that's the only limit uh, before uh, seeing the whole peloton on, uh, on tubeless. The clincher thing, so within the tube, is, uh, is a little bit of a different story. It's again related mainly to weight. Because still, uh, if you measure the system of uh, rim plus inner tube, especially the last generation of lightweight TPU plastic uh, inner tubes and a clincher tie, you can get uh, a lower weight than, uh, than a tubeless. So in certain circun- circumstances, like uh, the Grand Tour riders, the climbers, they still uh, prioritize on weight. So that's the area where or very lightweight tubulars or uh, inner clinchers set up with inner tubes, they can go lower with the weight. But I would say that other than the climbing stages or the old guys, uh, the, all the rest of the peloton is ready with the tubeless. For our teams, we are uh, 50-50 almost now. And again, the limit is, is based on the wheel availability. But I got to know, talking with somebody in the pro peloton, that their main fear most of the time, and that's why they don't go directly, for example, on clincher, apart from in something like super specific situation, is that, for example, when you have a tubular, but you have a pinch flat or whatever, you still have a bit of time before the tubular it deflates completely, while with clincher is a bit more risky. Is it still true? Uh, well, technically, with inner tube, yes, I would say. That's the big limit of inner tubes. Once they deflate, they deflate it uh, quickly. Mm-hmm. With tubeless, it's not the case. Okay. Or because you have the sealant uh, doing its, its job, uh, or because, uh, in general, the, uh, let's say the mechanical connection between the tire bead and the rim is a lot tighter, yeah. so uh, uh, the tire stays in place, even if it's deflated, which was one of the benefits of the tubular. Uh, or if you're running the insert, so the, the foam insert, that's also one chance that you can ride even, uh, even flat. So, uh, but I have to say that in general, whether you're using or not the insert, uh, the deflation, uh, if the, the puncture happens, uh, it's slow and you can still ride uh, on, uh, on, a flat, uh, on a flat tire. This uh, is not, it was not true at the beginning, So that's why the beginning was difficult because it's a, a lot about the compatibility and the tolerances between the bead diameter of the tire and the one of the rim itself. So having wheel makers and tire makers aligning on standards is what is making the difference now. So now there is a lot more precision 
from the major tire brands as well as the major uh, rim manufacturers so that the whole system is uh, a lot more reliable uh, and for this reason now uh, you, you don't get this big difference uh, in deflation in case you get punctures so they are reliable they stay in place uh, uh, even if you get flat but on top of that uh, let me say that with uh, the latex sealant inside you're basically you don't even notice if you get a flat okay so you discover and we are seeing that happening a lot of the time with the the, the mechanics discover the flat after the race when they wash the bike that's super crazy okay well i have many other questions about nerd stuff we're going to talk about that another time in another word but i don't know already talking about the first tubeless tubeless system in the 90s probably with mavic and stuff we're going to talk about that another time we're going to talk about that another time because i would love to introduce also another talk to you today the main announcement you actually announced last week last week, uh, of your um, yeah, new manufacturer building in Italy of the P0, right? That is going to happen again in Italy. Actually, it's going to happen in Italy. How did you arrive to this decision? And how do you feel about that? And what's the evolution? Um, may I tell you one story? I know you, we are... I love stories. <laughs> so we are actually celebrating 150 years this Ooh. year. Mm-hmm of history uh, for Pirelli. So 150 is quite a long time. So back in 1872, uh, we were like starting our, our first be- very first business. And guess what? It was a tire bicycle. So before starting producing tire, uh, car tires, we were actually doing the bicycle tires. So we then um, actually stopped uh, like 50 years ago, I guess. I don't remember quite exactly. Stopped doing bicycle business. And then we wanted to come back five years ago. So in 2017, we started back uh, producing bicycle tires. Uh, what happened is that, okay, of course, at first we, uh, we had to manage Uh, all the process and we didn't have our own factory because you know you are new to the business and uh, it's tough to start from zero and have a new factory from zero but now that we have a lot of our experience and we want to bring something that is new also to the industry and we want to keep it from ourselves of course because if you you have to remind that if you produce Outsize, uh, actually, you're giving to others some of your knowledge. So the main reason why we want to keep, uh, we wanted to bring back production in Italy was to make, uh, for sure, improvements of the product, and uh, of course, uh, give to the to these products a new, let's say, let's. Um, that's um, not only improvement, but also uh, new qualities, new mm-hmm. features that we want to improve uh, on the product. So the project started two years or three years ago. So the company saw the possibility to bring back the production and we chose to bring it back in a, a ready Pirelli production facilities, which was producing uh, car tires. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this new facility uh, is still in a, in a small area producing uh, some of the, the car tires, but uh, its main focus would be the 
cycling tires. And yes, of course, the the plant is being re- is yeah uh, being renewed, so it's going to be not only uh, a production site, but also uh, if you if you look at where the the factory itself is uh, uh, is placed is in an urban area. So what is it? It's Bollate. Oh, it's okay. very close to Milan, mm-hmm. like twenty uh, minutes from our from our headquarters. So. From a yeah, from a Howard point of view, it's like yeah, very close, so you can bring uh, directly, uh, for example, uh, tires from the factory to our offices. If something it has to be, uh, I don't know, has to be checked, or if from a, from a marketing point of view, we need to have some approvals. It's way faster mm-hmm. because, of course. Uh, being 20 minutes away for us, it's something that you can get like it, really fast. And of course, from a, also from a development point of view, it's very interesting to have the factory uh, close because uh, we see that, for example, um, in our mountain bike tires that we are developing this year, we have made 40 uh, development loop. You may, you may say, yeah, it's a huge number in a year, but we have seen that on the road tires, on this specification that we are presenting in, this, uh, in these days, we have made something like 600 Ooh. different... And specific- 20 minutes is different than overseas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a good point. Like, we are so close that we can make fast changes and produce a lot of different... Uh, try different stuff. Our engineers are ready to like, try a new solution and they can go to the factory and, produ- and make it happen in, in some days. Yeah. Uh, If I can ask you. Yeah. So um, we, were talking about, we were talking about this production in Italy. What tires, what tires sorry, is the first one that has been producing in Italy? What's the model? So uh, the first tire that is coming out from the factory is the P0 Race 4S. So it's a product that is being uh, renewed from its predecessor, which was the P0 Velo for us, mm-hmm. uh, one of our best sellers, I would say, in, uh, in our catalog. And we are, like, we are starting the new production with uh, this product. It's a tube type, but it's going to be also tubeless in the next month. And the idea for the factory is to start with the... Uh, Uh, road with the road segment with one of our best sellers but with a lot of huge improvements on the product itself and then slowly but not so slowly in fact uh, bring all the um, all the production to Italy but all the high-hand production so we are switching from the road but also the mountain bike is going to come uh, to the production in Italy but everything that is related to high performance so we are not quitting our uh, other uh, production sites but we are going to keep them from second to third uh, price point level which still is something that uh, consumer needs but in terms of performance and in terms of serving uh, our athletes and pro athletes for the, with the best products we are going to keep them in house and in Italy of course that's super interesting actually the process that you are tell that you are us telling us and <clears throat> the fact that actually you chose one of your best sellers of being the first 
We can say we are not talking about experiments here, of course. The, if you, that's what I was saying. The first experimental production in Italy, that anyways, consisted of 600 loops and everything, of course. But that product that was one of the best, uh, the best sellers, experimenting on producing it in Italy and then making this move is pretty bold. How came into your mind? Uh, there is a reason which relates to how we are, uh, uh, I mean, what's the Pirelli business model in general, uh, which is uh, about focusing on the high value market, which is high value in terms of price positioning from one side, of course. I mean, uh, in the car, we are supplying uh, uh, guys like uh, Ferrari, Lamborghini, that kind of stuff. But it's also high value in terms of product value, in terms of performance. So that the Formula One story is the easiest to use as an example, but that means that the focus on high performance products uh, is, uh, is there. In terms of uh, business model, I was mentioning because we set up the whole company at industrial level to being able to provide a high t- very high technological level to products which are uh, demanded in this low in uh, low number of pieces low volumes because of course you are not selling uh, millions of uh, Porsche and Lamborghini cars so there is behind a whole industrial uh, setup of uh, designing our own machines and processes to be able to switch quickly from one product specification to another one produce uh, low volumes of batches with a really high technological content in a, in a short time with a profit because at the Absolutely. end business because it's business so the whole company organization from uh, from the R&D uh, to to the to the plants and the factories it's based on this model with this goal and uh, it made sense also for cycling tires uh, and that's the reason why we had to switch to our own Manufacturing because we design again the process and the machines, mm. so we do own a lot of patents also on, on the machines themselves and the process because we had to do it to, to respect this kind of business model. So, this is why we had to start from the most complex and performing products because that's the way the whole Pirelli is uh, set up. Our other second biggest and most advanced factory is in Turin. Oh, and wow. it's manufacturing the tires for Porsche and Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. It's where we have uh, probably the highest technological capability for car tires. It's in, it's in Italy again. That's right. uh, and, and this is uh, the only way you, it can, you can work uh, the business model in a profitable uh, way. I mean, we have, uh, you can approach this segment uh, of uh, high value or as a marketing investment, which is the case of some of our competitors. I mean, you, mean, you mentioned Michelin. Uh, At the beginning, I mean, they are our only basically other competitor in the in the really premium and prestige market, but they are like five times than us, mm. big, bigger than us. So uh, for them, uh, it's more a marketing investment, which is needed, and an R&D investment, of course. The difference is that for us, it's the core business. I mean, we make money focusing only on that segment and cycling in that respect uh, it was uh, a natural evolution mm. I mean you know <laughs> we don't have to spend time uh, talking how expensive and technologically advanced are now the bicycles 
So it was a perfect fit also in that sense. So back to the, to the factory, why we decided to go uh, this way, it's because it's what already we are doing with the cars. So mm. the most advanced products that are made in, in Italy and recycling, we had to do the same uh, for product reasons, but also for, uh, let's say, company philosophy reasons. And because we have the capability to do that. I mean, we are built to do that. That's perfect. I have the last question. I have two questions, but I would love to have just a yes or no from you. So I think that you need to have a break as well. So, yeah, it makes sense. Is it okay if I ride my bike with clinchers? Yes, it's okay. It's definitely okay. What about the gravel bike? Uh, a little less okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that we can close it here. I'm sorry, actually, my technology evolution, especially because my, let's say, mechanical skills are not the best. That's the thing. But I can't wait to listen to a bit more of your tips for mechanical things and everything else, maybe this afternoon on a ride. Yeah. Thanks a lot, people. Thanks a lot for having me here and for telling me this amazing story. Grazie a te. Thank you. I jumped in a new location. I actually needed to get a shuttle. You probably heard about that. And I arrived here in the awesome Villier house. We can call it the Villier house, people. Yeah. Actually, in our company, as you enter in the, in the door of our company, you can find uh, Casa Villier. So it <laughs> could be the, 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 the right name for, for this place. Uh, yeah, Villiers is a well-known brand. Uh, wait a second, because we need a presentation, because I'm really bad on these things. I'm here together with... Yeah, it's Enrico Frison from Villiers Tristina, technical department. And uh, Francesco Munaron, uh, part of the marketing department. Perfect. So, yeah, let's kick it off. The history of Villiers, because it's an historical brand. Uh, once... Sorry, people, I need to bother also my listeners also with my own stories. From time to time, I think I speak too much. That's why I love to have a podcast. But I remember that a bit of time ago, decade ago, maybe, I made a project on Twitter. It was a chrono story about the Giro d'Italia in 1946. And this is a great bunch of story of Villiers as well. But yeah, it's pretty an historical brand, pretty classic with a lot of flavor and culture about cycling. Yeah, actually, uh, that year, uh, the name of the company changed also, uh, because from Villiers, the name changed into Villiers Tristina, um, because, okay, the, our, our rider won the stage in uh, Trieste, that was a city, okay, it was a, a strange t- city at that time, uh, so he won the stage, and in order to, to give visibility to this one, Uh, we changed the name of the company into Villier Tristina. And now it's the name that we keep it uh, for the present. Uh, yeah, so it's historical and an historical brand. Uh, it was born in 1906. Uh, it grew up during the, the wars, uh, the First War and the Second War. Uh, it's very close to the history of Italy. And now uh, we want to to be present uh, in the in the present, let's say. Uh, so we want a, a big history also for the future. Uh, that's why we are collaborating with a lot of teams. We are well known for the racing, for, for the road segments, but we also want to develop uh, new segments for the mountain bike, for example, and also for the gravel. Uh, that's why we are sponsoring Astana Pro Team, but also uh, we are working with the Villier Pirelli factory team, 
And also we are sponsoring, sponsoring some uh, ambassadors for the gravel and for UCI gravel, UCI gravel races. Uh, yeah, there, there is a lot of things coming in the company. And yeah, actually, uh, the company is a family-owned company. Uh, last year, two, two years ago, uh, um, an, an investment fund uh, joined the company. Uh, and with this investment, uh, we have a lot of people interested in working in, this, um, in, in our casa, let's say. Uh, we are growing, uh, the collection is growing, the bike's uh, interest is growing also after the COVID, uh, the COVID pandemic. Uh, yeah, that, that's the thing. <laughs> that's great. Actually, by the way, everybody, uh, I'm still keeping the COVID jar. Probably you don't know that. So listen to one second. So um, I started a couple of years ago when COVID hit the fan, I would say, uh, by having a COVID jar. Because I think that talking about COVID at the time, it was a bit too much. And uh, I thought, okay, but still we need the word COVID and the context of COVID to put things in the right place, right? So in order to make something good about something bad, I actually started having this COVID jar and all the time that anybody of my guests, so you are my, actually, you are my guests, so it's okay. And myself as well, I name the word COVID. I drop into my jar one Swiss franc that everything goes actually into a charity. Last year was Sea-Watch. This year is going to be by Kigi, that is a charity from Berlin, and they are teaching to refugee women to ride a bike for cultural reason, for freedom reason, and for, yes, I would say development feeling reasons. So you know that if you're talking about COVID, you're actually sending me completely to be broke and break completely my bank account, but we are doing something good out of it. So thanks a lot for naming it. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah, you were talking about something like an historical, historical, super heavy historical heritage of the company, right? So, uh, something that is starting in the beginning of last century and building up in uh, a completely innovative way. And this innovation is still here. And still, you are building up something new, not only by the traditional pro cycling, working with teams, because anyways, the level of technology is pretty high, but also on the way of telling different stories and going into exploration cycling that wasn't there before. And you have, we have many examples about that. Do you want to tell me something, Francesco? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, uh, um, I think that social media has changed the way that the companies need to communicate. So um, especially with the gravel segment developing a lot, um, companies have a great huge opportunity to tell new stories uh, through their ambassadors. For example, we have invested uh, some of our resources in some great ambassadors that we have. I would say that our diamond, I would call it, uh, Omar Di Felice, is a person who likes to ride on very hot surfaces, uh, like last year. He did uh, Transamerica, so he rode all the way through the United States on a very hot, uh, would say, weather and temperatures. And now he's cycling in the like, uh, coldest place in Earth. Uh, so those kind of stories are like great to tell through social media and to be able to display our bikes and our technologies through those stories is something unique that we can, I would say it's kind of priceless. That's, that's our goal. 
because it's important to communicate technologies, but at the same time, it's important to remember tradition and uh, to bring them all together with uh, with our ambassadors. So that's that's it. Well, um, let's talk about this for one single second because we need to talk about bikes and then we need to talk about bikes brought to the extreme. Talking about bikes, what bike would you say? Because, yeah, um, Omar Di Felice is the quintessential explorer, right? You talked about now being at um, North Pole, being in... Uh, in America, and then before he was in Siberia. So, I mean, he's really cycling all around the world. What bicycle does he use? Uh, right now, he is using a prototype in that part of the, of the Earth. But last year, uh, he rode on the, if I'm not mistaken, on the Rave SLR. Uh, because the great thing about it, about Omar, for example is that he used to be a pro rider as well, former pro rider. So he can give us a feedback both on the technical side and also on the storytelling side. And uh, to, would say, to promote Villier, we, have, uh, we made a particular project with him, which is called uh, Infinitamente. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is our custom paint job that we offer to the customers. But with him, we painted his bike with the United States color, because he wanted to uh, have a bike uh, with the paint job that remembered uh, that experience. So this is a perfect example that shows how we combine uh, our technologies uh, and let's say our heritage with the Infinitamente program with storytelling. Because to have a bike with a custom paint job that reminds you an experience that you did in the past is something, uh, yeah, very, very special. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about that quickly, and it's about your collaboration with artists. Last year, I arrived at the Eurobike after this amazing ride that I've done, by the way, from Basel on the bike. It was super good. I arrived in the Eurobike, really, booth and exposition, and I saw this awesome Villiers Filante that was made by the Japanese artist. Sorry for my accent there. Yon Inoue. I would say. And that's super beautiful because, yeah, really putting a piece of art inside of a super performing bike. That's really the core of the experience. Yeah, uh, well, thanks, uh, Stefano, for mentioning this uh, because we are very proud of that project. Uh, actually, it was made to celebrate Shimano's history, heritage, because last year, 2021, it was the 100 year anniversary of Shimano and with them we decided to uh, tribute them with uh, with this custom and made bike and uh, yeah with this unique Japanese artist we gave him total freedom to paint those uh, those bikes but we prepared some canvas he painted on those canvas and then we translated those paintings into the into the frames And actually, to give uh, your audience, uh, I would say, a bit of uh, storytelling, uh, actually, we originally, we planned to make 100 bikes. But the same day we launched the, uh, the bikes, because it was a limited edition of 100 pieces, they were all sold out. So we had to make other 100, and they were all gone as well. So that shows... Um, like the ability to communicate because yes, Villiar and Shimano, two great 
companies that produce high-end bikes. But the fact that we both combined that performance element with a custom paint job from a Japanese artist that celebrated the tradition uh, made the consumers like say, okay, I want to have this. I want to have this bike because it's something limited that only 199 people have in the world. So that's 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 the for me um, that's the direction that the old the whole industry is yeah is say going. That's super great. And also, Jon, the artist, has it one as once or uh, I'm not sure about it because we need to ask him. Yeah, well, we should call him directly. But can you speak Japanese or because I can try? Okay, uh, because I, I cannot. Uh, so we can ask the Shimano people. Yeah, that definitely. So, but the, um, the fact is that we gave him total freedom to create the paint job that he wanted to, because he has a particular technique to paint uh, frames and we didn't want to really influence any of that in fact if when you look at the at the custom paint job there's actually no uh, Villiers logo on the like that you can see because we gave total freedom to the to the artist and to the Japanese heritage that's super great that's really amazing well um I have actually another question that I want to ask you and actually uh, two two one tech question It's going to be pretty easy, okay, I hope. I already, know that, I already know that this question is for Enrico, not for me. <laughs> okay. okay, okay, that's one. And the other one is about an anecdote, but I will start with the first one. Technically, and let's talk about gravel here. Actually, you have two different models that can be into the lab. So, let's start from the beginning. Vilia, you told me that, Enrico, it's actually historically really linked to the road. Apart from that, we all know that actually you have, you, are being, you have been producing and now you have been pushing a lot also the cross-country mountain bike and it's also there, amazing bicycles there and that's great, but also the gravel part developed together with the market and with the request of the market itself because that's what people are looking for now. The first, let's say, you have two different models, I would say, that you can really consider on the gravel spectrum. One is the Yena, the second one is the Rave. How would you see that? Are the both of them complementary or there is more or less something that can overlap between the both of them? How do you see that? Yeah, actually, Villar understood that there was a huge uh, demand from the market about this, uh, the, about the gravel. And, okay, at first, Villar decided to bet on an all-round project. So uh, we designed the Yena frame Uh, so the the Yana bike born, and it was a a good bike for the um, okay. Let's say it was the first carbon frame gravel bike. Uh, you can use it uh, wherever you want for bikepacking, for uh, long distances. And it's a it's a good um, it's a good bike. Uh, but then we saw that there is also an evolution on the gravel on the gravel collection. Uh, there could be uh, a link between gravel and mountain bike. There could be a link between gravel and road. Uh, Villiers is well known for the road market. So we, decide, we said, okay, um, gravel is a good thing. We can make the link between the gravel and the road. So that's why Rave born uh, last year. Uh, actually, the first name of the Rave was uh, Zero Gravel. 
uh, because we took inspiration from our Zero SLR, that is our road um, high-end top bicycle, a uh, road bicycle. And, okay, we translated the, the Zero into the gravel collection. Uh, so we designed a carbon monocoque frame uh, with the integrated cockpit uh, with a carbon seat post. Uh, you have the full integration of the cables inside the frame. So it's a premium look bike. And uh, yeah, so there is this linkage between the road and the gravel. Uh, yeah, so these are the two models that we are keeping for the for the gravel collection. And let's see for, for the future what, he, what is next. I can't wait to know more. The last question, and I want to know an anecdote. People, you are really supporting people that are doing crazy things. And we are talking about Tomar Di Felice, of course, but also, I don't know, uh, I interviewed him. I got him on the podcast because you did a collaboration with Dustin Klein a bit of time ago. And that's a guy that really brings also his bicycle, especially on the mechanical side, because it's really messed up as a mechanic. I think I can say that, Dustin, I'm sorry. Uh, but also because he rides every, everything, but especially Omar Di Felice bringing the bicycle in this extreme condition. It's crazy. Did you ever had a call from somebody of your ambassadors saying, I have a problem, I got this, boom, problem. How can I solve it? Did you, did you really have, I don't know, of people riding a prototype or so just a bike that you say, okay, uh, that's fucked up. How can we do that? Yeah, <laughs> it happens a lot of times. <laughs> uh, let, let's say uh, it's nice. When we have the problems at the beginning, <laughs> it's uh, more tricky when the problems come after during the, during the, the journey or during the trip. Uh, it happens a lot of time. For example, uh, with Omar, we were thinking about the frame that, is, can, that can work also uh, at low temperatures because carbon, okay, if you go minus 60 degrees, it could, could be a little bit tricky. Uh, we have ambassadors in all over the world. Uh, luckily, we have a good sales network, so you can bring your Villiers bike to, to one of our stores and you can have maintenance there. Uh, we can find the, the good solution. But uh, yes, okay, there, there is, let's say, always a solution. So, <laughs> But you are not telling me an anecdote when something, when really the, the chair started shaking when you were sitting? Ah, okay. Uh, for example, uh, there was uh, uh, this ambassador that is doing the, the trip around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, she was in South America. And yeah, he had a problem on the, on the brakes of the of a rave. Uh, she's using a rave. Uh, yeah, we... There was a. She was in Buenos Aires, I guess. Uh, yeah, he, he, she brought the, the the bike to our store there. And yeah, <laughs> that's great. Even in Buenos Aires, if you have a problem with your villier, something can happen to make your journey better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can happen. <laughs> Perfect people. I would say thanks a lot. It was great, great, great talk with you. And yeah, I can't wait to try one of your bikes this afternoon. For sure. <laughs> oh yeah, you'll definitely will. <laughs> okay, thanks to your audience for listening to us and uh, yeah, enjoy your time on the bike. I will. Thank you, people. Episode number one of the Brunwagon podcast at the BCA event is in the books. Thanks a lot to everybody that I talk with for this episode. So, Federico from Fulcrum, Samuele and Valeria from Pirelli, 
and Enrico and Francesco for Willier. Great things, a lot of good stories, not only product talks, but also some heritage and values and everything like that. And this is going to be the same thing that you're going to listen also on the second episode and also on the third episode, a bit less on the fourth episode, because it's going to be just myself going around of this mini series. I hope that you liked it. I hope that you understand and enjoyed a bit the vibes that you could live in such an event like this. And thanks a lot to the BCA people for the opportunity of having me there and having me riding around, I mean, walking around to get some questions and uh, some answers as well from people. Let me tell you a little anecdote there. You were waiting for that, right? Um, My first meeting was exactly in the first day of the event, 8 o'clock, with Federico from Fulcrum. And I think that they were expecting something different. They were there pretty ready with a nice um, PowerPoint presentation, some good samples of their products and stuff. I arrived and I started straight away. Yeah, but I don't want to know that. I want to know a bit more about yourself, your company and everything you're doing with bikes. And then conversation started and then conversation got smoother. And then we had a lot of fun by talking about these things. I mean, I love products, but stories is what keeps me together with a bicycle itself and with an adventure. And thanks to this approach, I really believe that I came back home after this event with a good bunch of friends that I can't wait to see again, to ride with again. And just have a bit more fun with a nice dinner and a good glass of wine on the table. Did you like it? If you don't like it, well, you know where to contact me, CC on Instagram. If you do like it, though, same place to give me some nice words. It's really important for me. As important as it is as well, just leaving a comment, a like, or whatever it is in your uh, platform where you're listening to this podcast, as well as dropping some coins and BKGs down here. And as well, if you want support the Shasha Z, also the link is down below. Another thing that I can tell you as well is thanks to Komoot that supports this podcast and we met already with uh, Rob as well during this event. You're going to listen to that a bit later in the mini-series. And if you want to get to take advantage from a free region for your account, go on komoot.com slash G like Greenland and type the code BROOM. There you will get in this way a free region for your Komoot account. And that's super great. Thanks a lot, Komoot, for doing that. Ah, by the way, all the Komoot tracks are in my Komoot account, Broomwagon. Look for Broomwagon on Komoot and you will find all the tracks that I've ridden at the BCA event. And people, those places are just stunning. You will see them from the photos. Thanks a lot for listening. I would hopefully talk to you in a couple of days. Bye.